us breathing the very breath of God back to whom from which it came. Lord, teach us to pray. I'm reminded that that's what your disciples asked. Just teach us to pray. Not in a list of how-tos, but because we can't help but breathe the very breath you placed in us back to you. So Lord, teach us to pray. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of the word. First Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give your spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage them who are timid. Take care, take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your holy spirit your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our lord jesus christ comes again god will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful dear brothers and sisters pray for us greet all the brothers and sisters with a sacred kiss i command you in the name of the lord to read this letter to all the brothers and sisters may the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Please have a seat. Grab your Bibles and find 1 Thessalonians. While you're doing that, I want to read these words from the Apostle Paul out of Romans. Um, Farron did not know that I was going to start with Romans this morning, and um, nor did Mo, who spent some time, had us in Romans during our prayer time and stuff. But, but in Romans 8.26... Paul says that the Spirit testifies to our weaknesses, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And I wonder if you've ever been there. Have you ever been at that place where you just didn't know what to pray? And all that could come out of you was some like version of like there are times, guys, here when, when, I'm, when, when, I'm, when I'm having this whole conversation with the Holy Spirit as, as he's proclaiming his word over his people and, and my heart is going faster than my mouth can keep up and I, and, I, and I usually in those moments I'll come back here and I'll look at the word and I'll just look down and I'll be like, oh, because I don't know what else to say. That shouldn't always be our attitude of prayer, but we ought to get there. And I am praying 
that this time that we're in over the next few weeks talking about the secret to prayer would, would get us to that place where we're okay with the uh, moment. Right? That we're okay with not having the right words. Because the Spirit fills in the blanks. Right? Prayer is the soul's admission of insufficiency. Prayer is the language of dependency. It is the heart's cry for help. Guys, prayer is our acknowledgement of need. Do you want to know why we don't pray as often as we ought? I mean, there's all kinds of things, and we've even taught them here about the busyness of life or, or, or the lukewarmness of our heart. But honestly, here's what all that flows out of. It flows out of an attitude of self. If prayer is the language and acknowledgement of our need, our absence of prayer is, is like nothing else in our lives is saying to God, I don't need you. Either because I am self-sufficient or because I am self-fulfilling or because I am self-focused. But guys, we have got to get past that. And so part of what we're going to do is spend a, a, an extended period of time, meaning from now until we come back down off the mountain from our retreat, talking about prayer. And we're in this series we're calling The Secret to Prayer. And I got the title from the book that I think there are still some copies out in the lobby. We got some advanced copies from the publisher um, because we know the author. And, and the book is called The Secret to Prayer. We're not teaching through it on Sundays, but I do want to encourage you to read it as we go along. So there's a reading schedule that goes along with the book. It was actually put in the book, and it looks like our little invitation cards, like, like, kind of like the one you have in the bulletin, but it actually says what part of the book you're supposed to be reading. And as I'm rereading the book now, because I read it once when, before it was even published, as I'm rereading the book, um, it's just reminding me of what a, it, it's not a book about how to pray. It's not even a book about all the problems for why we pray. It's really just a book about God's heart for prayer. It's a book about, about what it takes to be a person of prayer. Right? Andrew Murray once said this, and if you don't know who Andrew Murray is, um, he lived in the 1800s. He died in the early 1900s, and if, if you're a prayer, you've probably read something by him. But he said this, the secret of secrets. So here's the secret to prayer. Humility is the soul of true prayer. So if in a word I had to tell you what is, what is our motivation, and, and not only our motivation, what is our ability to pray, it is humility. Right? We have got to, as Scott prayed, we have to decrease that he might increase in us. And that is really what I am praying this series goes, talks about. So, so if you remember, last week I mentioned some things about what prayer reveals about us. Here are some things that prayer reveals about us. They, it reveals about us what we think about God. It reveals about us what we think about ourselves. It reveals about us what we think of what God thinks of us. It reveals about us who we're looking to, and it reveals about us who and what we are living for. And last week in, this, I, in, the first, in the first installment of this series, I asked the question, how do we live this power-filled prayer life? And, and we looked at the, the scene in 1 Kings about, about Elijah, and we talked about how it is about calling on his name, it is about crying out to him, and it is about creating space for him to move. And that last point is where the rest of this series is going to go, is, is sort of how do we create space in our own hearts and in our lives? 
But, but before we get there next week, and by the way, the author of the book will be here to preach next week, so I really want to encourage you to be here. I know you guys are going to enjoy him immensely um, and, and invite people to come because it will be a, a great time to hear from a man who has, who has spent a lot of time thinking about prayer. So invite others to come as well, but he'll be here next Sunday preaching. Um, but but what, what we need to talk, spend a little bit of time talking about today is is the why we pray from God's perspective. The why we pray from God's perspective. So we're t- what, I, what I call this is, um, this, today's message is the humbling theology of prayer. So we, we, if humility is the secret, how does the theology of prayer humble us? It's interesting that in both Luke and Matthew's account of what we think of as the Lord's Prayer, in Luke's, they, they, they both, Luke gives a, a, a shortened version of, of it than, than what um, the gospel writer Matthew does. But it starts out with, G, with the apostles coming to Jesus and saying, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And then he says, and, and, and if you are familiar with the Lord's Prayer, both Matthew and Luke record this. Jesus starts with, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He starts with God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Then he starts, then he moves down from God, the Father there, hallowed be, hallowed be your name, to God's kingdom. And then even in Luke's shortened version, he says, give us today our daily bread. Like, give us today what we need, and forgive us for the things that we haven't forgiven others for, or as we have forgiven others. So eventually, in both, in both Luke and Matthew, Jesus, it records that Jesus gets down to sort of the, the, the boots on the ground level of here's, yeah, there are daily prayer needs. There are daily needs of prayer for forgiveness and grace, but, but he doesn't start there. I think our problem with praying and the theology of praying is we tend to work from the bottom up. What, what's my day like? I need to pray for those things and work up to God. But that's not what Jesus said. When they said, teach us to pray, Jesus said, I'm going to start from the top, Father, kingdom, then your life. So the first table talk, or the first talking points question is this. You'll see, if, by the way, I, if I didn't, I don't think I pointed it out already. So it's in your insert, on the back of your insert that you have to take notes on, so you have a place to write. On the back of your insert, the first t- talking points question says this. God wants us to pray for the here and now and there and then. So the here and now is our way of saying this life. The there and then is the next life, the eternal life. So God wants us to pray for both. Jesus didn't say only pray for eternal things. He said pray that God would give you this day your daily bread. Pray that he would help you live in forgiveness. Now. But he started with the there and then. So here's my question. What what would you say your ratio of these two things are? In other words, and I'm not asking you to talk about it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give you a second to just think to yourself, in your prayer life, whether you pray very little or you pray all the time, in the, in the amount of praying that you do, what, pers- like what ratio would you say? 50-50, 60-40, What would you say the ratio is for the things you pray for that are eternal Versus the thing, like, and have eternal consequences versus what you pray for that is just for the here and now. So just stop and think about it because it'll help us go move on to the rest of the message. How many people in, this, in, in the room are brave enough to say that 
that generally a larger percentage of your prayers have to do with the here and now than the there and then. Look around. Like, we're in good company. Me too. We're in good company. Right? And so what I'm hoping today in this, in this thing about the humbling theology of prayer is to help us turn that thing on its head and realize, yes, pray for things today, but start with the eternal things that really matter. So today the question we're asking is, or the training thought that we have is, what, what does prayer reveal about you? And then ultimately that is, and what you think about God. And what we're going to see in this familiar passage on prayer is not what we've seen in the past. We're going to see that 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 what it reveals about you is are you living in unity? Are you looking beyond this world? And are you trusting in Christ? So, so if hopefully you open up 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. You, hopefully you found it. I actually taught through the book of Thessalonians in, um, in the fall of 2020. So before we went into the holiday season. So, so I've taught this passage less than a year ago. So it gives me some license to not go into every word that, that, and, and to skip through some stuff. Um, because you can always go back and listen to that, that series. It was called The Ready Disciple. It's on our website. You can go back and listen to more detail if, if I'm frustrating you by skipping. But what we're looking at is what does is, what is, um, prayer reveal about you? This one, The first thing is, are you living in unity? Not, not now, you, now I, unity and absence of conflict are not the same, and we'll see that, because look at what, look at what it says. In verse 12 of chapter 5, we ask, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and over you in the Lord, and, admo- and that admonish you. So, so admonish is a strong rebuke. And then he says, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. So he's saying, guys, we need to live in love and peace together. We need to live in harmony with one another, even in the midst of admonishing, correcting, challenging each other. So unity does not mean peace. Unity does not mean absence of conflict. It means love in the midst of those disagreements. Guys, the only way we would be a church that had no conflict is well, there really isn't any way because we're a bunch of sinners. But outside of that biggie, the only way we would be a church that had little conflict is if we all believed exactly the same thing about everything. Not just about the word and doctrine and theology, but about how to live our lives. About things that aren't even secondary and tertiary issues, but just about preferences. If, if there's a church out there that has very little like people rubbing each other the wrong way, it's because all they've done is collected a whole bunch of people that think the way they think. We want to be just the opposite of that church. We want to be a church that's a glorious mess. That means that we have to have, that means we have, to have space here for people to think not like we think because we realize that they are being used by God to tr- conform us into the image of Christ and we are being used by them to conform them into the image of Christ. And, and without that conflict, without that, admon- that, that, that admonishment, we don't go to heaven looking nearly as much like Jesus Christ. That's the problem with the people that are running from those people that frustrate them in the church to on to other places so that they can move on to people that apparently aren't going to frustrate them. One, they always end up frustrated. But two, they're actually running from the Holy Spirit's work in their life. And that's why it grieves me so much as a pastor when I see that happen. So let's, but let's keep going. He says, we urge you, brothers, admo- there it is again, admonish the idle, that's the undisciplined, is what that word actually means. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to anyone and to everyone. So that's the people, or to, I'm sorry, to one another and to everyone. So that's do good to the people in the church, do good to the people that are outside of the church. Guys, those are our marching orders as Christians. Now, how does any of that relate to prayer? I'm glad you asked. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you turn to Matthew chapter 5, this is Jesus teaching about prayer. We're going to start in verse 38. Actually, no, I'm going to, in the interest of time, I'm going to skip down to verse 43. So Matthew 5 and verse 43. This is Jesus speaking. It says, You have heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What? That, do you see how you, he's saying, guys, here's the thing. It is simultaneous, it is impossible to simultaneously pray for someone and feel ill will towards them. Now, those two feelings can go back and forth like really rapidly. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in the moment that you're praying for the good of that person, you're not thinking ill of them. Jesus is saying practice praying for those people who you would consider your enemy. He goes on to say, and so and here's the motivation, so that you may be sons of the Father who is in heaven. Guys, just turn back, turn, turn one page over to, to chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And, I, and we've taught through the Beatitudes before, that phrase sons of God is not a male term, it's a term for being in the family business. What the audience would have heard when Jesus said that was, if you're a peacemaker, you are about God's business. And then he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Guys, it, I, I get that that's really hard and really even frustrating but but it's the reality and it's why like in our praying how unity looks in our praying is even being able to pray for those people who you feel have wounded you so we're going to keep going i want to finish this and then we'll get to our talk we'll get to our talking point he says, he keeps going in verse 45. For he makes, his, he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. unjust. That's what's called common grace. We learned about that in the foundations class in week one. Um, good, do good to all people. That's, what, that's how Paul put it in 1 Thessalonians 5, the passage we're in. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet, one, if you greet only your brothers, like people in the church that you like, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That word there, perfect, actually means you must be being perfected. He's saying, when, guys, there is little that will make you look more like Christ than when you pray for someone you feel has wounded you. Think about what he did. As they're hammering the nail in his hands, he's praying for me. He's praying for me. I'm nailing the nail in his hands that put him on the cross. And he's saying, Father, forgive Doug because he doesn't know what he's doing. Right? That's how our prayer makes us look more like Christ. 
And, and o- that only happens when we, when, we can, when we can say, even though I disagree with, even though I don't, even though I, I see that person as frankly someone who isn't even necessarily safe, I can still pray for them. That, that is as much like Jesus as you're ever going to be. So look at your talking points, and this is the one I am going to um, ask you to take a couple minutes to talk about at your table. Because this is the hardest one. It is hard to pray for the good of those who don't agree with you. Don't, or who you don't agree with, who you don't like, or who have wounded us. What are some ways that doing this benefits you? So it's hard to pray for people you don't like, that you don't agree with, offer in all kinds of ways, or especially that you feel like have wounded you. But what benefit is it to you? So turn to your neighbor, talk at your table. I'm going to give you two minutes to talk about it. Go. Okay, 30 seconds, wrap it up. Okay, so I just quick want to get some um, potential answers. So, so. What are some benefits to praying for those people that maybe you don't want to pray for? Scott? Peace. Peace. Okay, good. Because it starts to remind you of what your, real, what, your real, what your own real identity is. And hopefully that's bringing you peace. Good. What else? Janine? Help us have empathy. Awesome. Yeah, see them the way Christ sees them. Guys, if, if Christ was praying for them too while he was getting hammered to the cross, then we probably should too. Because whatever it is they did to you and I, or whatever it is we, we disagree with them about, it is way less than what, he, what they did to that, him. Yes, Evan. Keeps us from having hate in our hearts. Right, because, because we're the ones that are under the bondage. Good. Like, guys, this is, I mean, I struggle with bitterness and... Um, like you can't be a pastor for very long and not get wounded a lot, um, but you don't have to be a pastor to get wounded. 
and, and yet the, probably the thing, when I heard this a few months ago, like I got challenged about praying for the people that I felt most wounded by, it has done more to free my soul than probably anything else I've done. So, yes. I don't know if you could hear Audra, but it, 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 by praying for them, you're keeping the perspective of the eternal, right? And that even goes back to what Farron shared, right? About, about like, what, like when we're talking about hell and judgment, like, when we're, like we're actually saying, get them, God, whoever the them is, whether it's somebody you don't even know, but you just don't like because of their politics or because of whatever, um, or they made you lose the you know, money on the bet on the football game that you just had, which is a whole other discussion we should have about why you shouldn't be praying for those things. But, um, but, but it, it honestly, it's like what we're saying, man, that, that, is, a, that, is, that is such, not even a, a scary place to be, that is such an unhealthy place to be. Because, because this momentary light affliction, and we'll get there in a few minutes, that even they're producing in your life um, is being used by God. And so we'll get there in a few minutes. Good. So, what we're looking at right now is what does prayer reveal about us and what we think about God? First of all, it reveals whether we're living in unity. Are we really praying for brothers and sisters, for the world, even for those that we don't agree with? Like, is that, are we, are we fostering that kind of peacemaker unity? The second thing is, are we looking beyond this world? So let's pick it up. Back in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 16, the most, these are probably the most um, well-known verses in the whole letter that he writes to the Thessalonians. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Guys, I, I, like I said, I've taught on this passage not even a year ago, so go back and listen to it if you want to know what all those words mean. But guys, how is that even possible? Like, like really rejoice always? Pray, like pray without ceasing in everything? Give thanks? I mean, come on, Paul. Except if you know Paul's life, this wasn't theory to him. Like, no matter what I've been through, no matter what you've been through, it pales in comparison to what the man who wrote those words had been through, even by the time he wrote them. And this is one of the first letters he wrote, and it got worse from there for him. And he never lost sight of this truth. So how is that even possible to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks? We have to believe that there's eternal things in balance. Like, the only way we can rejoice always is if we have our mindset on what I just quoted. If we really believe what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.17. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, just, if you're taking notes, write that down. For this momentary light affliction, whatever that is, for this I get that being trapped under the towers for as long as you were, Mo, did not feel momentary or light. And what you've been through in the last 19 years to recover from that is not momentary or light. But here's what I know, brother. And I know, and here's the, here's the joy I have now as your pastor. I know you know this. This momentary light affliction has produced in you an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. Because we're not looking at the twin towers. We're not looking at the broken bones. We're not looking at the lost leg. 
We're not looking at, we are looking at the things that are unseen, Paul tells us. Because the things that are, awesome new leg, sister, seriously. Like, praise the Lord. Like, seriously. And, and did God want us praying for her for that for now? Absolutely. If there is, give us his day our daily bread. How about re restoring a missing leg? That's about as daily bread as you can get, right? Absolutely. But at the same time, we're also praising him because Kim and Mo and whatever you're going through is going to enter you into glory looking more like Christ. And guys, in the grand scheme of things, that's all you're going to care about. That's it, right? As, as, as long as this, as long as you, however long you live and as long as you're still struggling, it is, it is a dot on a line that goes forever and ever and ever. And we get so bogged down, even in our prayer life, with the minutia of the moment, right? And so, so we have to, we have, so we have to, Get our eyes on eternal things. Now let's look at the rest of, that, of this part before we move on to our last point. Look at what he says here in verse 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from what is evil. Guys, here's ultimately what he's doing. He, he's making the point I just made for us. He's saying, here's how you rejoice always, pray without ceasing and everything, give thanks. You, you fix your eyes on the things that are to come, and he lists them. He's saying, don't quench the Holy Spirit. That's his way of saying, guys, you're supernatural. There's, an, there's a world out there that is so beyond the physical. Then he goes on to say, do not despise prophecies. He's saying, guys, there is forward thinking, like in other words, future thinking stuff in God's word. Now he's talking about the prophecies of the Old Testament. We now have the prophecies of the Old Testament and the New Testament, but he's saying, take, yeah, amen. He's saying, take heart in the truth that God's plan is being worked out and he is revealing it to you. And, as, and, and he also, and he goes on to say, but test it, test it, test it by what standard? Scripture. Test it by God's standard. Hold on to what is fast. Let go of what is not, right? So that just because I know this, this is a verse that, that people can take and run with in really unhealthy ways, here's what, he, here's what the word pro prophecy means in this context. So I wrote it down so I wouldn't, wouldn't mess it up. It means understanding of future events, including the de declarations, exhortations, and warnings uttered by the prophets and now the apostles. So he's saying prophecy isn't a new word from the Lord. And we talked about that last week. That is a dangerous game. If you're following somebody who has a word from the Lord, I'm telling you, Joseph Smith had a word from the Lord. Right? And we, you got to be really careful. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Now there are people who have insight into this. That's what he's saying. So test those things. Like, see if, they're, if what they're saying matches what's in here. That's a whole different thing and a whole different conversation. And then abstain from what is evil. He's saying, guys, this, remember like this evil day? He's like, this, there is an urgent need to stick to the truth of what, of what this world is about and where we're going. So back to my question earlier. How much of your life, how much of your prayer life is fixated on the temporal versus the eternal? Right? And, and, and the last talking point we're going to look at, and then we're going to go into our time of response, actually, in our last point, 
is this. It says, what are, and I'm just going to ask the group to, to give me some answers, so you're not going to talk about it. What are some prayers we can pray so that the there and then comes into the here and now as soon as possible? So what are some prayers, I'm asking, so I'm asking, what are some prayers that we can pray that, that are so fixed on eternity that it allows the, that, that, is, that is help that we are being used by God in our prayer life to usher in eternal things? Scott? Conforming more into your son's image. Okay, conforming. The more we look like Christ, the more glory is revealed here on earth, the more people may come to faith in Christ. Good. Get my mind off of my own situation and pray for others. Awesome. There's a good one. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Taylor. That his word would go out. Guys, what does Jesus say? Remember, my, my keep looking up, Pat? He's like, that, 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 be, that because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold, but those who endure to the end will be saved. There will be much tribulation. There will be much angst. There will be much anger. There will be all the stuff that's going on in the world, but keep looking up because your salvation is drawing near. He's saying these things have to take place. They are going to take place, and when they do take place, and the word goes out to every tribe and tongue and nation, I will come back. So let's get busy about taking the gospel to all of those people. Right, like, like we, we sit here and go, like we're in our foundations class on Tuesday, we're going to be talking about why is there evil in the world? Why is there so much pain and suffering? There are good biblical answers. Farron turned us right to the key passage for it even today without even knowing any of that. But guys, here's the reality. Jesus told us 2,000 years ago to take the gospel to the world. Right? It's not his fault he hasn't come back yet. It's the churches. It's ours. We're not praying the right thing. We're not letting that prayer motivate us into the right places. Okay, I know there's lots of other people that wanted to comment. I'm going to keep going in the interest of time. It says, so how does, what does prayer reveal about us? Are we living in unity? Are we looking beyond this world? And the last thing is, are we trusting in Christ? Are we trusting in Christ? Look at, look at verses 23 through the end of the, chat, or the, end of the, the book, actually. It says, now, may the, Lord, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely... And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, I don't know why my, oh, because I got so excited that my watch was going to call EMS. Um, he, he who it wasn't my heart, hon, just so you know. He, he who calls is faith, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Again, I'm going to leave that with you just like I did a year ago. I put you under oath before the Lord to give this letter to read to all the brothers. He's saying, make sure that you read it out loud, which is what these letters were designed for. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here's the ultimate question, guys, about are we trusting Christ? When we read verse 24, he who calls you is faithful and he surely will do it. Or we read verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The question we have to ask is, do you believe it? Right? How, how do I pray for all the, you know, even, even all the evil that's in the world? How do I look to eternal things and keep my hope fixed on those things when, it's, when this world is hard and hot and miserable and painful? The answer is, do you really believe in the promises of Christ? 
So I'm gonna, we're going to finish up. We're going to turn. Um, we're done in, in, in um, 1 Thessalonians. Turn, if you would, just a few pages back to your left to Philippians chapter 3. And we're going to go into our time of response with this. Because, guys, I, it is hard. It is hard, hard, hard for us to do this. It, I get it. So how do we do it? Here is the passage that God used in my life years ago and is still using in my life to this day. In Philippians 3, starting in verse 7, he says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, garbage, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Guys, you see what Paul, this is Paul, this is the same guy that wrote 1 Thessalonians about 10 or 15 years later. He's saying, guys, I, am, I have lived my life doing this. Letting go of this life so I could grab a hold of something. So I see two things in this passage that relate specifically to how do we live this life, like, like how do we live this life focused on Christ in our prayer life? How do we do it? The first is we've got to let go of garbage. We've got to let go of the junk, the sin that so easily entangles us, the stuff that robs us of our joy, the bitterness that, that, that ensnares us. And then look at what he says. The last, I'm just going to read three more verses of the, of the passage. The second thing is, so we let go so that we can grab hold. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I've already become perfect, but I press on to make it known, to make, to make it known, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of Christ in of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Guys, do you see the two things? It is letting go of the garbage in our lives. And it is grabbing hold of something that is better and more beautiful. And that thing that you're grabbing hold of is Christ. And the vehicle through which we do that best is prayer. Prayers of confession, and we'll talk about those. Prayers of supplication, and we'll talk about those. But guys, as, as, the, as we get, go into our time of response and the lights come down, I want to, I wanna, each of you was given at least one card. Maybe you have two. If you don't have two, there's some extras on the, if you're at a table, there's some extras at the table, there's some on the table up here, I'm sure they have some in the back you can go grab, but our, we're not doing communion today. Here's what our time of response is going to look like. It's going to look like the tale of two cards. You don't have to do any of this, there is grace here. You don't have to use both cards, you can do whatever you feel the Spirit moving you to do. But what we're going to do is, Scott is going to come up here and he's going to read um, God's word over you for, for time. We're going to have a song of response for a time. During any of that time, you can get up, and here's what, I would want, here's what I'd ask you to do. If there is garbage in your life that you need to get rid of, take one of the cards, write it down. 
Write down the things you need to see as rubbish for the sake of grabbing hold of Christ. Use whatever you're using to write on your card to punch a hole in it and put it on the cross. The other card is the grabbing hold. Grabbing hold of God, what is good, what is right, what is lovely. What are the eternal things that you want to lift to the very throne of God? They might be a person's name that, you, that, you are, that you've been begging God to see ushered into salvation. It might be just some stuff that's going on in the world that you want to see turned for his glory. I, whatever it is the Holy Spirit would move on you, what you're going to do with that card is you're going to take it and you're going to put it on that wall. Guys, do you remember the scene in Revelation where we get the phrase prayers of the saints? The incense that was rising up to the very throne of God was what? The prayers of the saints. Guys, we're not just, this is not an exercise in activity here. This is doing business with the king of kings. And it impacts what's going on in heaven. When you put your little card on that wall, when you lift your prayer to the Lord by the power of the Spirit, it is entering into the very presence of God. That should bring great joy and peace to our troubled hearts. So as Scott reads the passage and I'm not coming back up and the music team goes into the, t the response song. You have freedom to move around however you would feel led. Until that time, I just want to ask you to just take a minute, close your eyes, bow your head. This is just a position of readiness. A position of responding to what the Spirit would have. So, Father, as your spirit moves to and fro throughout this room, that you might show yourself strong in hearts of people. I want to pray for hearts that are not yet yours. I pray that today would be the day that they would write on their garbage card the stuff they're Hold, they've been holding on to because they don't want to come to you. But now they see you as just better. I pray for those of us that are yours, but we still, because dirt sticks, have junk we need to do business with you in, that, that we would give it to you, that we would remember your words Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It is finished. That there's nothing we could write on a card and put on your cross that frankly hasn't already been dealt with. This is just to remind us that it has. And then Lord, I pray the dangerous prayer of David, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us and know our thoughts point out those things in us that offend you and then lead us in your everlasting way. Lord, reveal to us the things that we want to lift, that you want us to lift to the very throne of grace.
Move among us. Be glorified among us in your movement. In Jesus' name.